0: You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. So Paul is bringing Ephesians 1, this first chapter, to a close. And he's taught us that the Father has planned our salvation from eternity past. And if the Father's planned it, and if the Son has redeemed us by grace through His blood on the cross, and if the Holy Spirit has come to seal us for the Father and guarantees our future home in heaven, then Paul's teaching us, then our lives should bring glory to God, which is cause for rejoicing and thanksgiving. Look at verses 15 and 16. Look what it says. Paul tells them, for this reason, because of this big gospel, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, saints being God's people. And I do not cease to give thanks for you. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stop. He doesn't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. See, that's how it works in the Bible. We give thanks to God for what he's done in people. We see a person's faith, we give thanks to God, and we encourage the person, But there's a Godward orientation when you see God's work to give him thanks, that the gospel has had its intended effect. And it becomes a great diagnostic question, a great question for our life. If we should do this or think that or do this action, would this action, word, thought, deed make another believer rejoice? Does my life bring people to rejoice and give thanks to God? And notice the great gift here. There's a gift that you have permission, church, you have permission from God to rejoice not only in what God has done on the cross in the past, not only to rejoice what God is going to do in the future, but to rejoice in other people right now. That's what Paul's doing. He says he can't stop rejoicing in thanksgiving He can't stop it because he sees it in other people. If you feel like it's hard to get the car turned on to praise God, I know the keyhole apparently is right here. It's behind the lung, but you know, before the back muscle, it's just right there. If you have a hard time kind of getting up and ready and passionate to worship Jesus, what I I suggest from Paul here, that you'd fill the tank up with some gas of thankfulness and, and as you think about it, be thankful for the people around you. Be thankful for the people in your community, at your work, in your life. If they're showing faith towards God and love for other people, that is filling up the tank to give that thanksgiving back to God. That's Paul's model. That's what he's laying down to say we should be a people of praise because God is doing something. If God is alive and God is moving, then we're a people to be praising him for all he's doing and done. See, the gospel makes us worshipers of God. Before you knew God, you didn't worship God. You worshiped other things. It could be money, power, success, sex itself. It could be all sorts of stuff. But part of the heart change that God brings is he makes you a worshiper of God. That we worship what he's done, we worship what he will do, but we also worship because of what he's doing in our life right now. So let that gospel warm your soul. Let yourself heat up, not just because the AC's out again. Of course the AC's out. Welcome to citizens. (laughs) That's true, but let your soul warm up because God's doing something in you and doing something in your friends, in your family. That we're here for a reason because God is doing something. And here's the gift of thankfulness you'll notice, and it's in Paul's life. Truly thankful people are truly humble people. When you're too busy being thankful for everyone else, you think of yourself an awful lot less. You don't think less of yourself, as Dr. Tim Keller says. You just start thinking about yourself less. You don't have to be the point of everything. Because to be thankful for another person means you need to notice them. You need to see them. You need to enjoy them. You need to listen to them, not just thinking what you're going to say next, but truly lock in. And when you start to have that attitude of thankfulness and seeing people, seeing people the way God sees people, your thankfulness will grow. Your passion for Jesus will grow because suddenly you're aware of all he's doing, not just self-focused. And it's this amazing moment when we stop judging everyone else or worried about ourselves and let ourselves drown a little bit in thankfulness. I don't know anyone who's like, man, I wish I was less thankful. You ever met someone that you go, man, if they were less thankful, they would be more pleasant. That has never happened once. And so, as a humble people that praises God, look what Paul says in verse 17. He gives this humble prayer for this little Ephesians church, this little overlooked church. It's in a big city, but it's a tiny church, and he gives this humble prayer for them. He's going to tell them four things that he's going to pray for them, but he's not just praying for Ephesians, because remember, this is God's word. It's a personal letter, but it's pretty public now. It's God's word. That means these prayers are for you, too that Paul wants them to grow up in the gospel, grow up in following Jesus. So this gives us a path to grow up too. that this is God's heart for us to grow up. And he prays four things. It starts in verse 17. First, Paul prays that they'd know God intimately, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. He's talking to believers that a believer's journey doesn't end at salvation. It's just beginning. That God's knowledge is more like a ocean. We can truly know God. We can know God enough to believe, but God's, the knowledge of God is like the ocean. You can wade into it, you can swim in it if you're bold and you're not afraid of the sharks. You might be able to surf it or sail it. You might even submarine it if you're in the Navy. But you're never going to get to the end of it. You could spend a lifetime on the water, and you'd only be getting started, and God's bigger than the ocean we have. That your life and knowledge of God is an endless adventure if you've had the privilege to be on a boat and be far out at sea, you've probably had the moment where you look around and all you see is blue. And you start to just feel really small because you are. It helps us realize like, I'm not that big and I'm gonna die and hopefully this boat don't sink. But God's bigger than that. So next time you're on a plane or you hike up Ruffner Mountain, or you're at the ocean, and you see just blue stretching out before your eyes, know that God's bigger than the blue you see or the darkness of the night sky. And that his goal is to give you wisdom and insight to keep searching, that you have a quest to be an explorer through God's word and the Bible, through his community, learning to experientially praise and serve God with your literal body, that it would never end. The adventure is just beginning. When I meet saints that are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and they still love Jesus, still passionately love Jesus, it's because they still have a backpack on and hiking shoes on when it comes to their spiritual life. They don't act like I've been there, done that. They're excited about the next mountain. They're excited about where there's going. Have you ever hung out with someone who acted like they knew it all about God? Was it a blast to hang out with him and her? No, because God's knowledge should never make us arrogant, but should make us wondrously curious. The more we know, the more we want to know. Knowing about God doesn't quench our search for more of him. It starts it. And that's Paul's first prayer for us. The second prayer is like this. Paul prays, we'd hope in heaven Truly, verse 18, first part of it says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. What a phrase. Imagine your heart just opening like a case falling off and the jewel of your heart starting to shine with light through it. That your eyes of your heart, the essential you, that you would know what is the hope to which he's called you. Church, it's a good thing to long to see Jesus face to face. That might feel like a a kiddie sentiment or a sentimental thing. Nah, that's mature faith is to want to see this man face to face, to touch his hands, to be held in his embrace, to see Jesus is not a silly hope, but a true one that's coming true. It's okay to let your heart get lost in hoping for heaven. It won't make you mess up on earth. It'll inform how we live on earth. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, We're a people that grieve with hope. Our feet are already firmly on the ground. There is much to grieve in a broken world of sickness and death and cancer and all the things. But as Christians, we are told to have a hope in a God because we have a real future with God. It's not a false hope. It's not a sentimental thing. It's an emotional thing because it's real. It's okay to long forward on to heaven. You are no fool because it's real. God is calling us slowly but surely home. Day by day, we grow closer to heaven. And Paul wants us to understand his third prayer, why we long. Why do you long? Everyone has desire. Everyone has unmet desire, unfulfilled longing. Why do we long if there's nothing to go to? But you've been built to long because you've been built to be loved. Paul's third prayer is that we'd understand how loved by God we are. Look at verse 18 again. It finishes like this Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, first to the idea of heaven, but second, To what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And let's leave this slide up. God's prayer for you is that you would know, and there's a lot of fancy sounding words here, but we're gonna break it right down to know his riches of God's glorious inheritance. And you might think, oh, he wants us to know about the palace. He wants us to know about endless money. He wants us to know about beautiful fields or mountains or whatever. But look what he tells us. The glorious riches he's talking about, the thing that God wants you to understand is his glorious riches are the saints. That God's riches, the glorious inheritance of God, is you. That God's hope is that you would understand that he sees you as the great prize that he's won. It's not some other thing. It's you. His riches are you. The inheritance he bought with his blood is you. And what he plans to do with you for the rest of time is to enjoy you. If you wonder where it's all going, what the longings of your heart that sometimes get fulfilled in a friendship, sometimes in a marriage, sometimes with kids, sometimes with family, sometimes with meaningful work, those are just tiny Polaroids flapping in the wind of the joy that's set before you that God actually wants to enjoy you for all of eternity. And this isn't a passing idea. It's next week too. God wants us to understand that we are the glorious inheritance. God wants us to understand that we are his riches. He's not looking forward to some other thing. It's you. And I know there's the defense mechanisms like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, all that's coming up in your heart. And I just want to tell you, if you want to know how the devil speaks, that would be it. The devil wants anything but you to believe that you're actually loved, saved, and enjoyed by God. That he made you and he's redeemed you to be his forever. That's the big scheme. The plan from eternity past is to bring you to himself, not to then be bored with you, but to be with you. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. That's why they named him Jesus. Jesus' name means God saves. Emmanuel means God with us. Christ means the anointed Messiah. If you're wondering who Jesus is, if you're new to the faith, he's the God who came to you to be with you, to save you, to take you home, to be with you all the days starting right now. Do you know what the Mark of a healthy family is? At a workplace, you work together, right? Hopefully, or you guys aren't gonna make a lot of money. At a workplace, you work together. A community lives together. A sports team competes together. But a healthy family enjoys each other. A healthy family delights in each other. And maybe you believe God loves you at some level, but do you believe God actually likes you too? Because if God enjoys you, if he's planning to help you understand you are the riches of his glorious inheritance for the rest of time, I would say he enjoys you. God made you, He saved you, and his big plan that started already, if you believed upon Christ, is to enjoy you as his family, both now and stretching out into Forever. Do you believe that God saved you for his glory and in his grace redeemed you to be loved and liked? And this isn't just Paul talking big. This is the long promise of Jesus. Look at Zephaniah 3.17 with me right here. It says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He's talking about the Jesus that would come hundreds of years after this. He is the mighty savior. Well, that's pretty clear. He will delight in you. What? Not just save you, but he'll delight in you with gladness. Have you ever thought of God actually delighting in you with gladness? That the look on his face is wild, near manic joy as he delights in you. He's not cringing. He's not putting you on a timer. He delights in you with gladness. With his, God's love, he will calm all your fears. We talked last week about living without fear. This is a Jesus promise. He's gonna put a hand on your back and rub it to the fears rub away. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You see a theme here? Paul rejoices over the Ephesians' faith and love because God rejoices over them first. So you, church, when you see each other here or Christians out in the street or at work or wherever, your family, when they exhibit faith towards God's and love towards others, love towards you, you are to rejoice over them to God because God rejoiced over them first. It's all going to bring God glory, but we get lost in that language that that actually means something on the, on the, on the walking around today in the world. That you're to be a people of wild rejoicing and thanksgiving because what God has done, doing, and will do. If he's rejoicing, I want to join God, amen? I want to be a people of thanksgiving, amen? I want to let the delight of God dwell deep in my bones and burn me up from the inside out, amen? Amen, church. And maybe all this feels just unbelievable because perhaps in your human relationships, you've never been enjoyed. I know that's not the reality for everybody. Maybe your experience as a family or a child was up and down, it changed like the weather all the time. Maybe that's not your marriage right now. Maybe that's not your friendships you have right now. But instead of sitting as a judge in those things, would you trust God to have the boldness to start a new cycle? Would you trust God to believe that if God loves and enjoys Justin Tyler Carl, then maybe Justin Tyler Carl can just love and enjoy others and bring new life to every relationship I have? that I am a participant in all my relationships. And God has made the first move in Christ towards me so I can make the first move, the next move, and the always move and the forever move towards everyone around me because I'm loved and I got nothing to lose. Church, do you realize you're playing with house money? You're playing with house money. I'm not saying it won't hurt. I don't say trust isn't easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But if you know you're loved and delighted in by God, then you can freely give away your love and delight in others, expecting nothing in return. That loving your enemies isn't some impossible thing, but it's the only logical conclusion if you realize you were once an enemy of God. And yet he's brought you to his delight. You want to flip generational curses and sin in your family? You want to build friendships you've always longed for? I want to ask you to do something for me. That you would ask, if you're married, you would ask your spouse sometime today, sometime this week. Do you feel enjoyed? If so, how? If not, why not? Let's talk about it. Because I want to enjoy you. Likewise. Parents ask their children if they're old enough. Who knows what silly responses or maybe dead serious. I'll get out Eloise. I'll learn. If you're not in that kind of relationship, ask a best friend. Ask a roommate. This isn't just exclusive or marital or parent love. This is for all of our relationships. If you're dating and you don't feel enjoyed now, it's time to end it. If you're not enjoying each other in the dating phase, that is not a good sign for the married responsibility phase. Everyone, regardless of relationships or not, the question for us is this. Will I believe God loves and enjoys me, even likes me, or even Ikes me? Because everyone likes Ikes and Mikes, right? Will I believe, even likes me, Because God does. That this isn't an exercise in futility. It's not just trying to stir stuff up. But rather, this is the essential means of following Jesus the risen. And Paul has a final prayer for us. He's not done. This is a prayer of all prayers. To believe in God's power, both now and forevermore. Look at verse 19. I also pray, after all that, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God does not just, is not just a matter of talk, but of power. That we are not dealing with a myth in God. We are not dealing with a philosophy in our God. We are not dealing with wishful thinking, our mindfulness. We are dealing with the living God of power who created the universe by the word of his mouth. And Paul wants us to understand, to grow in understanding the incredible greatness of God's power, not just in theory or theoretically, but towards us who believe. You might say, well, what's that mean, Justin? That sounds great. It means when Christ says this, he means it. Matthew 19, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's not just an empty promise or a nursery rhyme or something, but he says things like this, Matthew 17, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move that nothing will be impossible for you. Or when Christ says this, I tell you the truth that anyone who believes in me has eternal life. That God can actually save you. That God can actually listen to you by prayer and do all things accordance to God's will and way in the world. That God's power is so great that his will will not falter. It will not fail. It will go on and on. And we can trust him in every single situation in our life. There's nothing that's like out of his range or out of his depth or God can't understand. All those are lies. God made you. He delights in you. and He has the power to actually do something in your life. You can love that person that feels unlovable. You can share that gospel. You can bring them to citizens. They hear that gospel and be loved by God's people. Church, the problem will never be that we have too much faith. That's never going to be the problem. But we can grow with our little faith. He's not asking to have a giant sunflower seed. He's talking about a mustard seed. God's will is for you to grow in faith that he is actually the God he says he is who loves us and is powerful enough to do all he has said according to his word. Amen. And if this feels tough to believe, which I guess it might've been tough for the Ephesians to believe because Paul turns and then just gives evidence. He says, I wanna give you examples of God's power at work in the history of the world so that you can believe God actually does these things. Look at verse 20, what he says. He says, first, Christ has been raised, the resurrection of Christ. 20, according to the working of God's great might, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This matters because if God has the power to raise Christ from the dead, we can trust that we will be raised from the dead too. That our loved ones in Christ will be raised from the dead too. Conquering death is a serious feat of power. It's a God power thing. There are no humans who have conquered death apart from God. Second, Christ has been seated. This is a theological idea called the session of Christ. That Christ, once raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, he sat down. Verse 20, and seated Jesus at God's right hand in the heavenly places. And you might be like, well, why does that matter? I take a seat all the time. Christ sits down next to the right hand of God saying that the work is completely finished. He is not straining to uphold the universe. He's not having to to sweat. He is seated that when he said it's finished on the cross, it truly is. He is never going to be moved. He is never going to fall off the throne. He is a Jesus praying for you that you can trust. And when you struggle with contentment and life's up and down, do you realize that your Savior is seated? And in Ephesians 2, that spiritually we are also seated with Christ. Life's going to have a roller coaster. But what if you had an eternal mind that said, I'm seated with Jesus always. That like Jesus ain't moving, neither am I. That eternity settled and spiritually I am with my God. How silly does the comparison game with others on Instagram or anywhere else Feel when you know eternity is settled, that I'm seated with God to be enjoyed for forevermore. Likes don't add up to an eternal love of God. He loves you. And the third way God demonstrates his power is he places Christ above all things for all time. Theologically, we can think about this as the authority of Christ, verse 21. And far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. See, God resurrects Jesus, seats Jesus, and then hands him the power and authority over everything in this timeline and all of eternity. And that's a fancy name, the rule, authority, power, dominion. Those are this worldly order, it's governments, it's people, but it's also that Christ is superior spiritually to every spiritual authority. He is grander and greater than any demon, any angel, any devil, any magic, occult, other religions, anything like that. Jesus is now completely in charge. The war goes on, but the war has a final ending coming. That Christ is truly in charge and can be trusted. He has all power. And the final demonstration of God's power is God sharing his power with us to follow Christ? Verse 22 through 23 puts it this way It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him the head over all things for our benefit, for the benefit of those who believe, the church. And the church is the body of Jesus. It's made full and complete by Jesus, who fills all things and everywhere with himself. And church, That's what the theology would call union with Christ. That Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, which means you're safe, means you're filled with power for God's purpose, but it also gives you a purpose. That whether you're loving a little baby, loving someone at work, whether your work downstream loves people, Whenever you live by faith and love for others, you are filling the universe up with Christ. It's not just things that Justin does or spiritual moments of discipleship. Every single part of you that is done by faith, that is done in love towards your fellow men and women, people created in God's image, no matter how small, it is a cosmic act of significance because every human bears the image of God. So when you treat them of love, honor, dignity, respect, you are showing the universe that there's a God who made this person and that their image is reflected into all the universe. That is the purpose and mission of the church to take up Jesus's mission to spread the redemption, hope and love and truth across this good globe. Church, you have been given a power to accomplish the mission to dwell in Christ and let him dwell in you to be your leader, to be your head, and to follow him. Church, will you follow him as delighted disciples? Not people he's tolerating, but people he loves, he likes, and enjoys. Amen.